Hi, everybody. Good morning. You are in for a very special morning this morning. Uh, this is an amazing place in the Word of God. We've come to an interlude, a, a time of pause. Much like chapter 7, we have found ourselves nestled here in between chapters 10 and 11. And God is about to do the same thing He did before, but in a different way. What I want to try to make us understand is what is taking place here. What is God doing? He is giving a time of pause. Turn with me, please, uh, in your Bibles to chapter 7 of the book of Revelation. We'll look at chapter 11 in a moment. I want to read with you what had taken place back then so that we can kind of compare it with what is happening today, as far as our study goes today uh, in, in, in chapter 11. There is havoc upon the earth. There is a there is a time where there is a pause, and the Lord gives a pause for a reason, for a purpose. In chapter 7, if you recall, John said, After this I saw four angels, verse 1, standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. That is, they were holding back the judgment that was falling upon the earth, so that no wind should blow on the earth, nor the sea, nor on any tree. He says in verse 2, I saw another angel ascending from the, from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God, and he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. He says, don't harm it. Don't harm the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. And then, as we see from the rest of the chapter, or, or the rest of that part, that, that the Lord calls 12,000 out of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12, 144,000 bond-sealed men of God who were going to proclaim the gospel. And look what it says. Uh, where was I? Oh, verse 9 of chapter 7. After these things, he says, I saw and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and tongue. They were standing before the throne of God. There was this pause that took place in the midst of this terrible, terrible time on earth. Well, after chapter 11, let's turn now there. After chapter 11, there is going to be much more havoc upon the earth we are going to get into what is called the great tribulation the last three and one half years 1260 days 42 months we are going to see but before that happens the lord god is going to give another pause another interlude if you would and he's going to bring out two witnesses and their purpose was to present the gospel to every person that is on the earth. And these two men are, are just beyond exception. They are, they are men who will, well, as we're going to read in a moment, that, that God is so anointed. What I want you to see, and what I want us to see out of this particular study, this particular morning, is that God shows us the patience he has towards mankind. Why the interlude of chapter 7? Why this interlude here in chapters 10 and 11 take place? Throughout history, God has faithfully sent his people, pastors, prophets, seers, those who proclaim the gospel, he has faithfully sent his people out unto the earth. 
and they would do what they were called to do without exception and, and sometimes under great persecution. And even during the years of Israel's great rebellion against the Lord, the Lord God came and warned Israel over and over and over again. And now I think, if you would, hold your place in, in Revelation chapter 11. We'll read there in a moment. I'd like you to find three places in your Bible in the Old Testament. I'd like you to find 2 Kings chapter 17. You'll see it on the board. 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and Jeremiah chapter 44. I want to point these places out to you because, because I want to show you that how the Lord God warns His people in all times. Alright, I don't want to get melodramatic now. But what I want to say is this. Look at the world around us. Look what's happening. Now, I don't know if the Lord's coming back soon. I have no idea that... The signs of the times seem to indicate it could. We're moving in that direction. There is, there is havoc across the world in which we live. I am not a political person. Some people have asked me, you know, let's, I want to, want to get a little more political. You know, let's get more political. What are we going to do and what are we going to say? And I'm never going to get political. You're not going to know. I'm not going to get political on you. I just am not. I am going to be a person that will share the gospel. I will, with passion, I hope, share with you the wonderful news of Jesus Christ and what the Bible has to offer to us. That I will do. But I'm, I'm becoming a political junkie because of my wife. I mean, she watches that stuff, and I watch it with her, and I'm watching, I'm watching the world kind of fall apart. There's rioting everywhere. There's killings everywhere. We get to see it on television. Across the United States of America right now, there's uneasiness. There's an unrest that's just fallen upon us. Why? Let me share with you why. Read with me, please, out of 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 13, 14, and 15. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all of his prophets and every seer saying, Turn from your evil ways. Keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, verse 14, they did not listen. They stiffened their neck like their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected His statutes. They rejected His covenant, which He made with their fathers. They rejected His warnings, which He had warned them. And they followed vanity. They became vain. They went after the nations which surrounded them, concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. In other words, they chased after false gods, false religions. And we have people today in this world in which we live that are running here and there for some sort of answer, some sort of reason for life. When we have it, we have it right at our fingertips if, if people would only look and see. Look at, at, at now, read with me please, out of Second Chronicles, chapter 36, 
verses 15 and 16. Listen to what the Lord says. The Lord, the God of your fathers, sent word to them again and again by his messengers. Why? Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But, verse 16, they continually mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words. They scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of, of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Folks, let me tell you, there is no remedy apart from the gospel. There is no remedy for your ills and whatever is troubling you apart from what the Bible has to say. There's no remedy. Jeremiah chapter 44. Please turn. He says in verse 4 of Jeremiah 44, Yet I sent you all my servants, the prophets, again and again, saying, Do not do this abominable thing which I hate. But they did not listen, nor incline their ears to turn from their wickedness, so as not to, to burn sacrifices to other gods. Therefore, God says, my wrath and my anger were poured out and burned in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, so they have become a ruin, a desolation as it is this day. If you wonder, if you just wonder what is wrong, what is happening in this world in which we live, if you are wondering what's happening in these, the United States of America in which we live, the answer is right there. It is because people have rejected God's word. They have scoffed at those who have given his message. And they've turned to their own ways. And I am passionate that you and I will not do that. I am passionate that we will love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, so that we might be, if the Lord were to come back soon, we might be that voice crying out to our loved ones, turn from your wicked ways. Yet the picture has not been entirely bleak. It never is. Not here, not now. God's salvation has always come first to the, to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And how? Always the same way. Through the faithful preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to Paul's words in the New Testament. The book of Romans, the 10th chapter, the 13th and the 17th verse. Paul writes, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. But he asks a question in verse 14. How, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they going to hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, however, Paul writes, they did not all heed to the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? And Paul ends this particular place that I wanted to read to you in verse 17 by saying, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we stand on at this church. You can rest assured that this is what we will try to tell you. This, 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 and this alone. No philosophy of of living, no philosophy of life, just 
pure and simple the, the good news of Jesus Christ and how we are to live our lives. And so in this amazing time, in, in, in this darkest of hours upon the earth, the Lord God pauses, just as He did in chapter 7, and He brings forth two witnesses. Now, not only the two witnesses, because the 144,000 are still there. Let me tell you who else is there. Look at chapter 14. We're not there yet, of course, but look at chapter 14 and look at verses 6 and 7. Where millions of people have been killed by, by demons and by evil men, Jesus Christ sent these two witnesses, 144,000 Jewish evangelists, and verse four, chapter 14, verse 6, John says, I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach. You know what the eternal gospel is, do you not? It is Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, as He is forever now. It says the eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation, to every tribe, to every tongue, to every people. And He said with a loud voice, Fear God. Give Him glory. Because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Not only do... Will God, as we will read in a moment, raise up these two powerful witnesses? But He has raised up 144,000 Jewish evangelists, as we saw in chapter 7. And now in chapter 14, an angel in mid-heaven shouting out for every single person to hear and proclaiming the eternal gospel. And added to that will be the testimonies of all believers who are alive during that time, who have, for whatever reason, not been martyred. And during this time, this pause, God allows a final display of His grace offered to any and every single person who wishes to come to Him for the forgiveness of their sin. Watch, read with me please, chapter 11. We're not going to cover the whole part of it, what we were going to read, but I want, to get the, I want you to get the flavor of what has taken place here. We'll, meet, we'll, we'll study more about these two witnesses in time. There is a there's something very much more important to see first. Verse 1 of chapter 11. John says, There was given me a measuring rod like a staff. Someone said, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. And leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations they will tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. I will grant authority to my two witnesses. They will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone desires to harm them, fire will proceed out of their mouth and devour their enemies. And if anyone would desire to harm them in this manner, they must be killed. These have the power to shut up the sky in order that rain may not fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to smite the earth with every plague as often as they desire. 
And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city, which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And those from the people and the tribe and the tongue and the nations will look at their dead bodies for three and one half days, and they will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry. They will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwelled on the earth. And after three and one half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who were beholding them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And in that hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. Seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. The third woe is going to be more, more trouble on earth than ever before and ever will be, and it will be the end of times. It will be the final ushering in of Jesus Christ. It will be that glorious day that every single one of us who know the Lord long for. But what about those of us that don't know the Lord? We need to be a light to you. We need to be salt to you. We need to be that message to our loved ones that helps them see the wonders of our Christ. As we preached last week, we need to be free of their blood. We need to be obedient to proclaim the gospel as best we know how to them so that their blood will not be required of, of our hands, as the Lord said to us last week. With that in mind, I'd love to pray and I'd love to, uh, to preach this message. Father, please. Father, please. Father, please. Allow us to open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from your law. Father, please. Do not allow me to stand in the way of what you want to say to each and every single one of us. Father, please, touch our hearts. Let us not be complacent in our faith, but rather let us reach, reach, reach forward to be more and more the men, the women of God that you've called us to be. Lord, I want to thank you for every single person here. I want to ask that you will, you will allow us to hear from you. Move me aside, I beg of you, Father, please. Move me aside. Please do not allow me to stand in the way of any one person knowing you or growing in you. I beg of you, Father. I beg of you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. The ministry of these two men that we just read about is going to stretch throughout the great 
what, what our Lord calls the Great Tribulation, the last three and one half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. It'll be as bad as it can possibly get on this earth. And they will be there preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. The trumpet that will sound, as we'll see in verse 15 when we get there, will herald in three amazing events. It'll, it'll herald in the final seven bold judgments, including the battle of Armageddon, and then the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Before this will take place, though, the two witnesses will declare the good news of Jesus Christ and the disasters that will befall upon the earth to all who deny and reject Him. They will fulfill the very, the very promise of Jesus Christ out of the book of Matthew. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. We are rushing towards the end. I don't know when it is. It just feels like we are rushing towards that time. When the seventh trumpet sounds in verse 15 of this chapter, the present outline of prophecy will close. And we will be in what is called the end of times, the day of judgment, the great tribulation. Interestingly, let's get back to where we are. Remember in, in chapter 10 and verse 11, kind of out of nowhere, John was told you must prophesy again. Remember last week we saw that. Well, John was 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 held captive on the island of Patmos. How was he going to go and prophesy again? And then something very, very, very interesting happens in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And it's a kind of a, it's kind of a, a bad place to have a, a chapter uh, closed between chapter 10 and 11. Because verses 11 to verse 1 and 2 fit very, very much with one another. John says in verse 1, There was given to me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, Rise, measure the temple, temple of God, measure the altar, and interesting, measure those who worship in it. But, look at verse 2, Leave out the court, which is outside the temple. Don't measure that. Because that has been given to the nations. The nations are those who are unbelievers. That has been given to the nations. They're going to tread underfoot the holy city for 42, 100, no, 1,260 days, three and one half years. 42 months. I want you to note something here. Throughout the Bible, when God speaks of measuring out anything, it always implies that God is marking off anything that is measured as belonging to himself. That is why in verse 1, he says, I want you to measure off the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship in it. They belong to me. The rest... Don't measure them. 
verse 2. Leave out the court. Don't measure it because it has been given to the nations and they're going to tread underfoot the holy city for these 42 months. The word temple is very interesting. It, it is the word N-A-O-S. It refers to the holy place where in the Old Testament only the priests, only the priest of Levi could enter into that, the holy place where the temple was. Only the Jews could go in there and only the chosen few. The altar, though, was located outside in the courtyard where those who worship could gather together and it could be any and everyone who believed and trusted in God. It could be Jew and or Gentile. We have seen here that, that true, God redeems Jew and Gentile alike. We understand that. We live in the day of the age of grace, the church age where there's no distinction between a Jew or a Gentile. There's no distinction between a man and a woman. There's no distinction between a, a free person or a slave. There's no distinction. But here, all of a sudden, there is a, there's a separation of sorts. The reason being is the church is not on the earth right now. As we read through this from, from chapter 4 on, we see no mention of the church. The church has been raptured. It is with our Lord in heaven. I'm getting more and more convinced of that with every day. It's still in pencil because if, if, if it's not so, okay, I, I can live with it. Not so, but I believe more and more now that the church is in heaven itself. Remember what our Lord said to the church at Philadelphia in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I will keep you from that hour of testing which will come upon the whole world. The church is not present during the tribulation. Because in the church, we have been taught, as it says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, there's no distinction between a Jew and a Greek or a Gentile. But here there is. And then in verse 2, we are told, leave out the court. Don't measure the court. Because it has been given to the nations to tread underfoot the holy city for 42 months. The great tribulation period. We will be studying about that in, in the weeks in, ahead of us. This time is repeated over and over again. We'll see it in chapter 12. We'll see it in chapter 13. This 42-month period, this 1,260 days, this three and one-half years, this time that our Lord calls the Great Tribulation. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 14, talking about these three and a half years, He calls it time and times, that's two more, that's three, and half a time, three and a half. Listen to what He says. The, the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman. The woman in this in this example is, is Israel, so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she will be nourished, that means protected, for a time and times and half a time, three and one half years, 42 months, from the presence of the serpent, the evil one, Satan. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5, talking about the Antichrist who will become prevalent as soon as we start getting into these last three and one half years, 42 months. It says there was given to him, the Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and he had authority to act for 42 months. That was given to him. 
This time, 42 months, three and a half years, is the time of the reign of the Antichrist upon the earth just before God comes in to remove him forever. Daniel speaks of this time. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. Listen to what Daniel says about the Antichrist. He, speaking of the Antichrist, he will speak out against the Most High. He will wear down the saints of the Highest One. He will intend to make alterations in times and in the law. And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. 42 months, three and one half years. These 42 months are correspond to the evil time of the Antichrist, which will dominate the remaining part of the study of the book of Revelation, the last half of the tribulation, which our Lord calls the Great Tribulation. This period is the conclusion of what was predicted in Luke, the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke, the 21st chapter, the 24th verse, where Luke says, They will fall by the edge of the sword. They will be led captive unto all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot, trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentile is fulfilled. You see, every word of God will be fulfilled. There is nothing that will happen that, that he doesn't allow. Matthew warns of this time. He gives it kind of a scary warning to me. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 to 20, he warns, When you see the abomination of desolation, which is spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, he says, Let the reader understand. He says in verse 16 of, of Matthew 24, Those who are in Judea, flee to the mountains. Whoever is on the housetop, don't go down and get the things that are in your home. Whoever is in the field, don't turn back to get your cloak. And then he says, Woe, woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Those who remain during this 42-month period will face terrible persecution from the Antichrist. But during that time, God will bring a gracious salvation message. And how? as he always has. Through the 144,000 Jews, through the two witnesses, through the, the angel who flies in mid-heaven, and through all who are on the earth who have not been martyred to, to remind their family and their friends and their loved ones, come to Christ, come to Christ, come, come, come to Christ. These two powerful witnesses, as we just read briefly, will appear, as it does say in verse 3, and they will also suffer, as it says in verses 7 and 8. Seems like men of God, women of God, people who really want to serve the Lord have a tendency to suffer, it seems. At the end of these, these 1,260 days or 42 months or three and one half years, Christ will finally return. I, I want you to read about it because most of this has been kind of heavy. I want you to turn with me to chapter 19, please, please. Revelation chapter 19. If you ever want to turn to a place that will hopefully make you and me shout glory, it is here. It is when Christ will return and we with Him. And He will set up His kingdom and we will 
we will be with him and reign with him forever and ever and ever. In Revelation chapter 19, starting with verse 11, listen. John says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he will judge and wage war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon himself, which no one knows except himself. Verse 13 tells us he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. If ever you want to mark any place in your Bible, I don't know, do as you wish, but mark that place if you want to. If it isn't even your Bible, if it's one in the market, mark it for the next person. It says in verse 13, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, our Savior. His name is called the Word of God. That's why we do what we do here. The Word of God. Verse 14 tells us the armies, that's us, which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We follow Him on white horses. (laughs) And from His mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it He might smite the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron, and He will tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on His robe... On his robe, on his robe, and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, if we were a Pentecostal church right now, you'd all be in the aisles. <laughs> yeah, you'd. <laughs> that is as good a news as you and I will ever read if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. That's the promise that you and I have one day that He will come and reign and then finally all of this havoc, all of this woe, all of these trials and pains and whatever it is that you and I may be going through will be over with. And we will be with Him forever and with our loved ones like Dale. We will be with our Lord and our loved ones forever and ever and ever. This one who has a robe that has been dipped in blood, and whose name is the Word of God. And so at the end of these 42 months, He will return and He will destroy the Antichrist and His forces. We will learn that in Revelation 19 as well. And also it is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He will then judge the nations as we learn in Matthew chapter 25. And he will establish his earthly millennium kingdom as we will learn in Revelation chapter 20. You want to know what's strange about his millennium kingdom? His millennium kingdom goes for a thousand years. He will reign and he will govern the people for a thousand years. And after a thousand years, Satan will be let loose. And you want to know something that is incredible to me? There will be people who will follow Satan after having been reigned by our Lord for a thousand years. I don't get it. I don't get it. I get it that I'm a sinner. I get it that we sin. I get it that we fall short of the Lord. But I can't understand how He would be here in our presence and reign for a thousand years. And after that, we would just say, oh, let's try Satan. I don't get it. So despite the evil efforts of the evil one in this time that's called the Great Tribulation to destroy everything and everyone, God will measure us off and save us, preserve us, and protect us. 
Listen to what Zechariah says in the 13th chapter, verses 8 and 9. It will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts of it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. And he says, listen, listen now, I will bring the third part through fire. I will refine them as silver is refined. I will test them as gold is tested. They'll call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, they are my people, and they will say, you, you are our Lord, our God. Don't you desire to say amen is right? By gosh, amen. Now, instrumental to all of this conversion, all of this, that those that say you are our Lord are those that faithfully preach the gospel. It'll be through the 144,000 Jews. It'll be through the invincible two-man evangelistic team called the two witnesses that we will study in in chapter 11, which John introduces us to in verse 3. And mark this, and mark it well, God will never, ever, ever, never allow any one of us to go to hell without Him giving us an opportunity to repent and be saved. He will send His preachers. The problem is, as was mentioned in the Old Testament and as was mentioned by, um, in, in the New Testament, that, that some will deny, some will scoff, some will say, no, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. It is my deepest desire for you and for me to walk with Him. The reason you come to church, hopefully, is not to win brownie points with God. I hope that you're learning that's no way to to live your life. Let me tell you this. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is nothing more you can do to become more a Christian. You are as much a Christian as you'll ever be the moment you accept Christ into your heart. The reason you and I come to church, the reason hopefully you and I do anything that we do for the cause of Christ is because we love Him, not because we have to. It's because we want to. It's the same with, at least for me, with my wife. I I love Kay more than life itself. I would, I would, I believe, give my life for, for my wife but not so that I'll be more married. I'm as married as I can be. I was married the, the moment on September the 14th in 1973 when I said I do. I was as married then as I am today. But I do for Kay because I love her. Not because I have to. It's because I want to. Same thing ought to be here in our church. We serve here not because we have to. It's because we love our Lord so much that we just want to. We stop being apathetic about our faith and we get very serious in understanding that, that our Lord has teaching us, or is teaching us, not have, but is teaching us through this, this pause, this interlude, this time of of rest, so to speak, to catch our breath and to see why He has sent these two witnesses to share the wonders of His good news to these people on the earth at that time. It's to give them another opportunity. He has given you and me another opportunity to 
to live for him, to serve him, and to love him. And for those of you here that do not know the Lord, I beg of you, I can only beg of you, come to Christ. If you hear that still, silent, small voice tugging in your heart, don't put it off. Come to him. And for those of us who know him, let's love him. Let's love him. Father, to each of us to love you will mean something perhaps a little different. I have no problem with that. Difference is good to me, I think, Father. But may we express our love to you by serving you. May we express our love to you by sharing the wonders of of who you are with people that we know and come in contact with. And oh, dear Father, bless us, please. Oh, Father, bless us, please. And may we bless you. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all more than life itself. God bless you and have a great day. Thanks, and I'll see you next week.